And again, happy Father's Day to you dads. And uh, thank you, uh, dads and moms, for coming and bringing your families here, if you're able to today. Um, it's, it's a great day to celebrate uh, Father's Day. Well, as I mentioned, we're uh, focusing on uh, the purpose of community, purpose of church. And many times when I'm in conversation with folks and we get around to talking about, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, what? Uh, I don't go to church. I don't need to go to church to love God and serve God and believe in God. And I said, that's true. But um, it's probably pretty important. And then we have this conversation. God created us for community. In fact, in the very beginning, God said, it is not good for you to be alone and so Adam and Eve they were Eve was created for Adam and, and they together formed community had children began a family and the rest is history the internet is a great tool and we've utilized online worship services and we thank God for that and it's a great tool and there are billions of subscribers uh, to the internet around the world but Stanford University studied 3,000 girls ages 8 to 12 and they discovered that the more time these young girls spent online, the more lonely and depressed they became. And you, I got thinking, why? You know, they're online to connect with friends on Twitter and um, all these things. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Why do you think they become more lonely and depressed when the more they spend time online? Could it be because they are still alone in their room and they're watching it's sort of like if you've been to a, gone to a party, you feel all alone in a crowd. And I, I kind of have a feeling that's what they feel. You know, they see all this crowd of happy people online, but they're all alone in their room at the end of the day. See, God didn't create us to be alone. In fact, there are three enemies to community, God's intention. The first is independence. I have a commitment to me. I trust in me. I have this individual independent spirit and I'm self-sufficient. And the second enemy is consumerism. We buy things to fill the void for temporary happiness. You know, we go to movies and, and sports and entertainment and things that will lead to temporary happiness, but a focus is on the external and not on the internal, the real need. And then the third is isolation, which makes sense, right? We're, when we're disconnected from others, then we feel isolated, and, and we think, you know, it's just about me and God, you know, it's my personal religion, and there's no accountability. Well, Satan's number one strategy is to isolate people from one another, and oftentimes through division and contention and, and divisiveness. Like Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, what, what's the first thing they did? They ran, right? They ran and hid from God and from each other in their shame. And then they had children, Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel ended up warring, and Cain killed Abel, and, which led to more isolation, obviously. Um, in fact, even animals in the wild, they're meant to be together. And when they separate from the herd or from the pack, then the predator can easily pick off this lone animal. God built 
community in the animal kingdom. And this is a picture of Alaskan musk ox. And if they get separated from the herd, then again, they'll get picked off by wolves and stuff. But what they do when they see a predator is they stick their butts together like this and they get in a circle, they can see all around and they put their horns down and and no predators will come near them because they are safe in a herd together. God gave them this instinctive desire for community and need for community. Well, Jesus, his last piece was, Lord, make them one, even as you and I are one. Make them one, Heavenly Father, because he knew that community was so important. So God created his church to combat these three enemies of independence, of consumerism and isolation, and restore the community which was lost by Adam and Eve and because of sin. And so we read in Acts chapter 2, this very famous passage of, of the church, the birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost. We read in Acts 2 um, a description of this early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to being together. They devoted themselves to that, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, there's that word together again, and had everything in common, community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They cared for anyone. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together again with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So early believers, they did three things as we see through this short descriptive passage of the early church. They devoted themselves to being together. They devoted themselves to serving together. And they devoted themselves to worshiping together. And that's God's idea for his church. And it it doesn't change. So first, they devoted themselves to being together. Again, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. God created us to be together from the very beginning. In fact, God was together, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Trinity. They'd always shared community, transcending time and space for all eternity. And, he, and that's a picture of what he has in mind for his creation. And therefore, he created Adam and then Eve for marriage. It's not suitable. It's not good for man to be alone, but I'll make a helper suitable for him. He, of course, created families with Cain and Abel. And, uh, and then he created the family of God. God chose a specific people for himself to be together as his people And then later on, he chose his disciples to follow him. And then later on, of course, the Holy Spirit came and and formed the church to be together and to operate according to the one another passages. And there are like 30-some one another passages in Scripture. Honor one another, love one another, be devoted to one another, encourage one another. Um, And Jesus chose his disciples so much so that he didn't want just to um, demonstrate, I'm going to invest in you guys. I'm just going to invest in you guys. But he did so because Jesus needed them too. In fact, in the Garden of 
Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying before they took Jesus away to crucify him the night before, he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Therefore, stay here and keep watch with me. I need you guys. I need your support. I need your prayers. Jesus was saying this. Paul the Apostle said this to Timothy, his, his, uh, uh, his disciple. He said, do your best to get here to me, Timothy, before winter. Uh, the disciples remained together after the resurrection, and they prayed for the Holy Spirit. And of course, when the church was formed, the Holy Spirit unified them together, and they devoted themselves to one another. And we read in Acts 2, verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a sound came together, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. After, they, after all these people uh, heard the gospel message being spoken in their own language because people were from all, in Jerusalem from all over the place, all these different languages, this was the reverse of what happened at the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. When God uh, punished uh, the people for their pride and for their independence and for their consumer mentality and all this, and he punished them by giving them different languages, and causing them to not understand each other, they spread out. Instead of this community, there was disunity. But Acts chapter 2, we see them coming together again. It was a reversal of that when the Holy Spirit came. God's blessing. And of course, he says to Countryside Covenant, to all the churches, I want you to demonstrate who I am by your community, by how you love one another. And so... Uh, the need for belonging community is instinctive in each one of us, isn't it? You know, that's why we go to ball games wearing our shirts and our hats, you know, the same colors, and we cheer for our team collectively. And if our team wins, then our city wins, and we rejoice because we have this instinctive need to be in community. God wired us that way. But the deepest form of community is that which comes through Jesus. He draws us together, even people from all different countries, races, all different um, uh, ideas. We come together around Christ. And we experienced this just last week as the Hamilton and Brown Sunday School class regathered together at the Hamilton's backyard. Ronald on the far right there, and Stephanie's in there somewhere. And we just regathered together and celebrated, and it was so nice just to be together with church folks again and to celebrate and eat together. And the kids were playing as well. There are a ton of kids. This is what it's meant to be. <clears throat> it's not meant to be quarantine and watching a service online. Now, that was good, and God used that for a season and will continue to use it for those who are shut in and, and are unable to come or those who, who can't get out quite yet. And it's a great tool, but that's not God's perfect intention for his church. It is to be face-to-face -to -face together in unity. And that's what the church demonstrated time and time again, the early church. And the second thing, they experienced community by serving together. In verse 44, 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. They didn't just care for their own needs. They cared for anyone who had need. In the, in the uh, fourth century, in the mid-300s A.D., there was a guy named, an emperor named Julian the Apostate. He wasn't a believer. He was an opponent to Christianity. And he wrote this when he was trying to revive his religion of paganism. He said this of Christians. He said, Christianity has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar and that Christians care not only for their own poor, but for our poor as well. While those who belong to us, they look in vain for the help we should render them, but they don't. Because in Christ... He gives us a spirit of serving others. Following the example of Christ, empowered by his spirit, we care for others with the compassion of Christ. The early church cared for anyone who had need, and that's why the church exploded, including the most vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor, which someone coined the term the quadrant of the most vulnerable. And because the church did that, We read in verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We can do that. We can do that. But why do we have to serve with others? Why do we have to serve with a church of people? Can I serve on my own? And the short answer is yes, you can. It'll be very limited because as a body of Christ, we're so much better together. One of the enemies to community is, remember, consumerism. And what does that have to do with community or lack thereof? Well, think about it. A consumer mindset, someone who has a consumer mindset, says, I can serve by myself in my own time, in my own way, when I deem it's convenient for me, with no one else to hassle me. I don't want to serve with a church and be on their schedule and serve and this and that. I can do it when I want to do it. Too many people in the church bug me anyway. But Jesus said, I'm going to choose my church, my people, to together be the only entity, the only force that will build my kingdom and that will overcome the powers of the enemy. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that church will go on forever because God has chosen it to be his people. And that's us. Jim Dennison said, every image in the church in the New Testament is collective. A vine with many branches, a body with many parts. There are no solos in the book of Revelation for all eternity. The Christian life is personal, but it's not private. And we have this individual, independent mindset in America that, you know, I'm just going to be independent and self-made and private, and that's not Christ's idea for the church. In fact, a better idea for the church might be, this is my parable. Gilligan's Island. How many watch Gilligan's Island? How many have never heard of Gilligan's Island before? All right, well, I'm going to give edumacate you now here. Then for those who, a few of you who didn't, some, uh, this was 
popular in the 60s, maybe 70s even, 60s I think, but I watched it in the 70s as well, reruns. Um, Gilgan's Island, uh, see, they, they were all stranded on this island after they went on this little cruise, these, how many are there, seven of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and somehow the, the, their little boat got shipwrecked and then they were on this island together. And, and everyone had a different, they were from different places. Like the two on the left, they were married, the Howells. They were like from East Coast wealth. And they had all these suitcases and furs and everything that they carried on the island with them. And then next to the guy in the back is a professor, and he was from some university setting. In front of him was, was Gilligan, the guy in the white hat, and he was, uh, he was from the seas. You know, he's a sailor along with the other guy in the hat, the skipper. Uh, they lived in the seas. And then the woman in the back with the brown hair was Ginger. She was from Hollywood Glitz. And then the woman in the front there was Marianne, and she was from the Midwest, like Kansas girl. Yeah. And so they all had different backgrounds, and they all had different personalities. For example, the Howells, the married couple, they were self-absorbed. Yet they were generous. They offered their needed supplies from their vast amounts of material goods for whenever there was a need on the island. Ginger was egocentric as a Hollywood actress, but she was an entertainer, and she used her gifts to entertain them when they got bored. And then the professor, he was a know-it-all, yet he was a visionary, and, and he, he could build things out of bamboo like automobiles and boats and stuff, but he could never get off the island anyway. And the captain, he was a loudmouth, yet he was a workhorse, and he was a protector of little Gilligan, his skipmate. And then there was Marianne, who was simple, yet she was very hospitable, and she would make coconut cream pies whenever the, anyone got discouraged. And then there was Gilligan, who was a knucklehead, foolish man, yet he was kind, and he was accepting, and he was beloved by everyone on the island when they weren't making fun of him. And yet they all had the same goal, and the goal was to get off the blasted island that held me captive for three of my childhood years where I could not go to bed at night without anxiety because they were still stuck on the island. Well, we in the church need to celebrate our differences as well, our different perspectives and our different strengths, even when we disagree. Oftentimes when we disagree with one another, we fight because you don't see things my way and I, I can't believe you think that way. And God says, man, I, I've made a diverse people. In Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 were saved, they're from all over the place, all the different languages. That's his church. We need to hear each other's perspectives. We need each other's strengths in order to be effective in mission. We can't do it alone. When we went on a missions trip down uh, near the border in southern Texas, there were those from our church who loved kids, and so they did the VBS thing with tons of kids from this church. And, um, and they, did, uh, they had put the snacks together and did the crafts. Some art, artist people did the crafts, and, and so that's what we did every day, except for the, the people who didn't like working with kids. And so they, they worked on plumbing and air conditioning and, and electricity and rebuilding other buildings that the church had on their property. And so we worked together using our strengths and gifts. If we would have reversed that, it wouldn't have worked. 
It would have been miserable for everyone. But we all came back from this mission trip filled with joy, even though we were spent and tired, just like the 72 who came back from the mission trip when Jesus sent them out. Now, these short-term mission experiences for us are not meant to be like, all right, check, I went on a missions trip. Ha, huh, did you? Ha, I did. I served great God's great commission. I can't believe you didn't. You should. You know, that's not what they're meant to do. What they're meant to do is, of course, serve people, but they're meant to also equip us to be missional when we come back to our hometown and our churches so that we have this mission mindset of continuing to serve together as a body in our community. And when we do that, there'll there'll be nothing that will lead us to a more authentic community than serving together. And then finally, uh, the church, the early church, devoted themselves to worshiping God together. This word devotion means made it their highest priority, committed. They devoted themselves to worshiping together. Acts 2.46 Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What do they do in the temple courts? Well, they worshiped. Every day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. What did they do in their homes? Well, they worshiped. They praised God in their homes and enjoyed favor of all the people, and they fellowshiped together. Where's a better place to offer praise to God? In the temple or church or in the home? Both. It's not either or, it's both and. We can't say, well, I guess, you know, this thing is, this thing, you know, this corona thing is really cool. It's made worship convenient. All I have to do is go sit on my couch, turn it on, fold laundry, and I can worship. Well, you can. I would say a legitimate form of worship would be if you invite your small group over and worship together in your home. I think that's a legitimate form of worshiping together by God's intention. If you want a house church as an extension of countryside, that's great. We would bless that. Or to come together and worship here. I think that's what God would have us do. Um, The disciples met together every day, not just once a week, not just every third week, but every day they met together in the temple courts because Jesus had just risen from the dead and they, he just ascended before them and he gave them his Holy Spirit and they were so excited. They had this common vision and there was nothing more important in their life than being together and, and praying and worshiping and then being empowered to go out and do mission together. They met together in the temple courts as well as in their homes I loved Zoom because I was able to get on and, and look into Zoom and see everybody's living rooms who's on Zoom. And I thought, that's cool. I haven't been in, in your house, but now I have. But it was kind of an artificial invitation into your home, right? <clears throat> I think we've lost the art of hospitality in our independent decades we've lived in America. You know, we're all private, and I don't want people in my house. But man, that's not, the, that's not biblical community. Invite people over. Sit on the back porch during this coronavirus time, which is, Lord willing, over momentarily. But what does worship have to do with community? Well, if we're to love one another with authenticity and enjoy community, then we got to love God first, right? Because that's where we derive our love. It says, uh, we love because God first loved us. 
That's why we're able to love. Or Jesus said, abide in me or remain in me and then you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from worshiping him first, you will not have enough love to share with anyone else. <clears throat> so it comes from God. We need to worship together to experience community. But I can't, but I can't have a, per can I just have a personal quiet time and worship God all by myself? The answer is no. I mean, you can, but you won't be experiencing God's intention for community because there are no solos in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and that's why in Hebrews we're told, do not forsake meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. Or Matthew 18, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am in your midst. When one coal is taken away from your charcoal and set over here, this charcoal will burn and your steaks will, you know, get cooked, but this charcoal will momentarily go out on its own and isolated from the rest. It will go up, it'll become cold and ineffective. We're not meant to be alone. <clears throat> so, I want to conclude with this picture. If we don't have an accurate picture of community according to the Bible, then I believe we will make church family optional. It'll be just optional. It'll be another thing to do. If there's nothing better to do on the weekend or during Wednesday or whatever, then I guess I'll go to church. It'll just be optional if we don't have a biblical understanding. And here are three pictures of how you might understand community in the church. The first is a soup kitchen for the homeless, maybe. Um, many gather every day for a meal. You see them come in in ones and twos and dozens, and if you've ever served, like at Lord's Diner, and then pretty soon you'll have over 100 people eating together. And there's a semblance of community, but it really isn't authentic community because as soon as the plates are cleared, then people get up and leave and they don't have anything to do with anyone else pretty much in there until the next meal. It's kind of self-serving. It's a consumer mindset. And the first picture correlates with the first phase of a life of a believer. He or she comes to faith in Christ and they find a good church and the church exists to support my needs it's something that I need if I'm going to grow and it's not a bad thing but it's a focus on yourself and so you go from service to service and, and when the church fails to meet your needs then you look for another church that will meet your needs that's the initial you know um, immature or juvenile form of church idea the second picture of community would be more like a book club of friends meeting together. It unites them. It gives them a corporate identity over, over a topic on a book. But their community does little or nothing to touch the world beyond their own personal club. This is like the second phase of the growth of a believer. They no longer view church only in terms of what they can get out of it alone. They commit to others like within the Christian formation classes and, and life groups, small groups, and Bible studies and things like that. And so that, that's much needed in a church. We need to encourage one another. But the type of community um, will not fulfill the deepest phase of community because it'll fail to progress outside of the needs of your own little group, your own kind of clique, as you will. The third picture of community and God's intention for a church is a band, sort of like a rock band. And if you don't like that, then we'll say 
a gospel quartet or Bill Gates or Trio or whatever, you know. I don't want to offend anyone here. But this band is who? Eagles, yeah. Um, so a band, they get together, they, uh, they come together to go out and tour again, and they get together for maybe a month in advance, and they practice, they write new songs, and they, uh, they sing together, they play together, they record together, and the music is incredible, and then that's it. No, it's not it. If that's where they stop, then they failed to do what they should do as a band for their purpose. They failed to live out their purpose. Their purpose is to share their music with the world. If they fail to go on tour and share it on stage, then they shouldn't be a band. They've wasted their time, in a sense. And so that correlates with the third picture in the, um, the complete picture of what, what God intends. We are meant to share the good news, not just with ourselves and our own little Bible studies, but we're, we come together in order to be built up to reach out. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. So what attitude of community best describes your need or your, your attitude of church? Many would say, you know, I don't need a church or a church family. I know Jesus. I serve him. I love him. But what does God say you need? And he says throughout Scripture, you're created for community, to be together. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you cre created us for community. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who uh, took the time to, to come to worship you today, be it in person or online, Lord. I pray for those who are online and when they're able to as soon as possible that you can rejoin them in community here if their health allows. And we pray, Lord, again, for the eradication of this, uh, this virus, Lord, and even the fear of this virus, Lord. Would you remove it so that we can once again in faith come together and be the community that you intend us to do, to worship you together, to be together, and to serve you together, Lord to make a difference in the world and offer what we have. And whether we worship at home with family members, small groups, or whether we worship here together in church, I pray, Lord, that we experience community in the fullest sense. We thank you, Lord, for walking with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.